Hi, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about the future of the Democratic Party in Arkansas, uh, the state of Hogville, uh, in the, the wake of, of new big hires, <laughs> and um, the future for healthcare in Arkansas. Some, some light lightweight topics today. Yeah. Uh, I'm joined. The voice that you hear is our Arkansas Times Florida correspondent. It's right. David Ramsey. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for being with us. Hey, uh, no we're, problem. We're doing this uh, in special technology over the phone, so that may be why it sounds a little bit different. And sorry that we missed you last week. Uh, we got foiled by technology and scheduling. Um, but we will try to do better in the future. So, uh, big big news of the week, at least as far as national politics go, was uh, the surprising uh, win for Democrat Doug Jones. That's his name, right? We keep saying Roy Jones Jr. I uh, know. <laughs> Doug Jones, the the former federal prosecutor, who uh, defeated Roy Moore, who maybe was the worst political candidate in the history of political candidates in terms of ethics and morals. Yeah, he he was not good. He had a lot going on. He had, um, you know, he had said that Muslims shouldn't be seated in Congress. Uh, He had insinuated that America was at its greatest uh, uh, back in slavery times. Um, He said that America would be better off. Uh, if they had stopped adding amendments to the Constitution after the first ten, which would, uh, among other things, that includes you know the abolition of slavery and and uh, and uh, women being granted the right to vote and all sorts of other things that we uh, that we take for granted in modern life, uh, he had a kind of nostalgia uh, for the past in a in a kind of shockingly retrograde way. He also was um, kicked off of uh, the Alabama Supreme Court twice for. Uh, failing to follow the law, and, and oh, by the way, uh, was credibly accused by, um, in, of molesting multiple teenage girls. And I don't mean to laugh, it, but it does kind of pile up, and he was an unusually uh, horrific candidate. And, and in fact, you know, even prior to the, um, the allegations of, of molesting teen girls, and, 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 you know, this included being uh, banned from the mall uh, because when he was a prosecutor in his 30s, he was known for cruising around looking for um, teens to, to pick up. So this was a pretty ugly picture. Um, even prior to those allegations coming out, he, he was actually not uh, that popular in Alabama. He had uh, he had sort of run below what you would expect for uh, a Republican in statewide elections when uh, when he had run for office in the past. So he was a weak candidate. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it is Alabama, uh, which is, of course, one of the most reliably read states in the country. And Donald Trump, um, I mean, the way that the reason that this all started is that Donald Trump had appointed Jeff Sessions uh, to become attorney general, which opened up a seat. And there was a special election. I think most folks assumed that it would stay in Republican hands. Uh, but they they nominated this this uh, kook uh, who um, who <laughs> who then uh, after he won the primary was accused of of molesting teens. Now at at that point that you know 
it sounded like Republicans, though they didn't love more, were willing to kind of go along with things until until this really ugly stuff came out. Uh, but Donald Trump uh, decided that he, you know, didn't mind sort of giving a full-throated endorsement to this accused child molester, and so he did, and kind of put all of his weight behind um, trying to basically keep the seat in Republican hands. Uh, but it all just proved to be too much, and uh, and you know, Doug Jones, I think, I think that he he ran a campaign that I think is very effective. If you are <laughs> fortunate enough to be going against such a bad candidate, um, he, you know, he was a genial kind of non-offensive Democrat um, who, uh, and I think that the backlash against Moore, particularly um, the turnout was especially impressive among black voters in the state, uh, was enough for him to eke out a victory. I mean, despite Moore being such a, a sort of loathsome character, it was still a very close race. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, Jones wasn't a nobody. Of course, he was this federal, federal prosecutor, most well known for uh, successfully prosecuting some KKK members uh, in, in more recent times for, for crimes during the civil rights era, which certainly resonated with. with uh, sure, many, many sure. I, I, I think that helped. I, I, also, I also do think that he. Um, uh, he was not a. He was not a kind of. Despite that uh, very impressive history in terms of uh, his legal career and, and and in particular the association with the civil rights movement, um, he he was not a uh, he was not a rabble rouser as a politician. He was a a, a fairly uh, you know again despite the imp- I don't mean to say that he's a generic character or a generic person, but as a candidate he he was a kind of um, a. Uh, a non-controversial Democrat, we'll put it that way, yeah. and I think that I think that that was kind of the sweet spot because part of what happened, I suspect, is that uh, Republicans and some Republican voters in Alabama were kind of disgusted by more and and stayed home. But I, I think that the the takeaway that can get lost a little bit because. Moore was such an extreme candidate, was that you did have very impressive turnout numbers uh, for Democratic voters, and, and particularly for black voters, um, that uh, that are very similar to the, the big turnout numbers that you saw in Virginia, and seem to suggest that... Um, you know, it, it's a good time to be running as a Democrat. That there will be some headwinds this year, which is, uh, which you know, kind of confirms what we would generally think would happen when you have a Republican sitting president who is basically has some of the lowest approval ratings that have ever been recorded, and and a Republican-controlled Congress that's deeply unpopular. That's right, and and who you know who uh, very narrowly. Uh, missed passing a hideously unpopular health care bill, which uh, I believe that was among the most unpopular legislation <laughs> as long as they've been uh, recording that sort of thing. Uh, although I, I believe that the tax bill they're doing now is, is maybe just as bad or, or, or close in terms of unpopularity. So you basically have a kind of perfect storm uh, for Democrats. And, and I think that uh, on the one hand, again, there were so much unique about Alabama that you don't want to extrapolate too much, but but what I do think it it does is um, it kind of 
it builds a momentum which sounds like a fuzzy meaningless word but but where I think it matters is I think it helps with recruitment it helps with it kind of uh, route you know as as folks are doing their own get out the vote operations in their own states it kind of rallies the troops a little bit and I suspect that you are going to see better candidates on the Democratic side and uh, and this enthusiasm gap is going to continue to help Democrats. Now, in a state like Arkansas, will it help enough to, uh, you know, to take back the state house? We'll know. Um, but I think that there will be, it is, as I say, it, it is, <laughs> it is an unusually good time to run as a Democrat. And I suspect there will be at least some headwinds on that front. Yeah. Well, so the, the big open question in Arkansas is, does anyone step up to, or two big open questions, anybody, uh, Beyond those who've announced, step up to run in the second district for Congress, take on a seemingly vulnerable French Hill. Uh, and does Tom Cotton get appointed to head the CIA, as um, was reported by the New York Times? That was likely to come several weeks ago. It still hadn't happened. The Trump administration is unpredictable, um, as you, you blog today, so who knows? But if he does, you know, can the Democrats? Uh, recruit some heavy hitter, you know, a Mike Beebe, though why would he want to leave right. the country club in Cersei and laid back living to go fight it out in, in D.C.? Um, so those are the big things. The, the, the biggest political news in Arkansas this week, of course, was the announcement that uh, the Democrats have uh, a candidate for governor, and it's Jared Henderson, who's 39. He's a Little Rock native. Teach for America uh, state executive uh, was, was his most recent job. You interviewed him briefly earlier this week. What What's kind of the quick version of who he is and what he's about? Right. So he, uh, as you say, he was, he was the... Um the executive director of the of the state branch of Teach for America. Uh, clearly, I think education policy is where he is most comfortable. Um, I, I think that one kind of little sub drama uh, <laughs> to look at it is, um, you know, the the teachers union has not always seen eye to eye with. Uh, with Teach for America, and and Henderson has kind of been involved in some Walton-funded initiatives. Uh, so, sort of how that plays out as an as a kind of intra-party squabble. I, I think that that I will be interested to watch that. I mean, as as a candidate, um, you know, <laughs> I, I would say this: he would be a very a very strong candidate if he was running against. Like an accused child molester, like Glenmore, <laughs> um, because he's 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 he is I think generally inoffensive. Uh, he seems like a kind of uh, moderate to to you know I mean even maybe slightly uh, to the right of center of, of the median Democratic voter. Um, he's a bit you know uh, milk toast. He's he's fine. Uh, I, I think that the, his biggest challenge. I mean, I, I will say that the question that he had the most trouble answering was, um, uh, you know, exactly what he was running against. What, what was Asa Hutchinson doing wrong that he would like to to uh, improve upon or 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 kind of challenge? And and he he didn't have a a, a quick answer. I mean, it, the gist of what he said was that. 
he likes a lot of what um, Asa is doing, but he'd like to take a little further. Uh, as, as I say, he, he definitely is most comfortable talking about um, education policy. He, he's his, uh, um, but but kind of in surprising ways, I will say. You know, I think that the standard push uh, from Democratic candidates has usually been to focus on the pre-K uh, side of things, just sort of improving funding on that front. Um, uh, he seems a little more focused on kind of retaining uh, teachers in, in K-12. He says that they are facing sort of too many bureaucratic uh, hurdles in the classroom, and, and he would like to alleviate those. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but that, that's kind of the, the pitch that he's giving. Um, again, I, I do think it will be interesting to see, you know, I, I don't think that he is, he's been very explicit at this point about um, you know where would he stand on charters, vouchers, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know he's one. He's actually one of three TFAers who's who's running as a Democrat this year. It, there's a kind of undercurrent here where you know the in order for if there is going to be an effort to um, to sort of slow the tide that that I think. Uh, Republican interests and certainly the Waltons have been pushing in Arkansas to kind of voucherize the education system. It, that the the kind of <laughs> now some Republicans, I, I think, partly because of the influence of you know groups like the Arkansas Education Association, have uh, have been. Uh, there's there's enough of a scattering of them to kind of form a coalition with Democrats to slow that a little bit. Um, if the Democratic Party sort of divides on that issue, that that may change. So that that's kind of a little uh, a little small point to kind of watch as this develops. Uh, I, I you know I think that the core problem for Henderson is that he is facing a a very popular uh, Republican incumbent. Um, I there's you know. Again, like the the Alabama example involved a, a sort of a weak Republican, uh, and and that's not the situation here. Which is why I suspect, you know, ultimately, I mean, Jared Henderson was a name that I think most observers in the state had to kind of scramble uh, to look up who it was. Um, people like, I mean, for example, you know, I think Clark Tucker, who is a state rep from Little Rock area, who's been kind of uh, I think seen as as a bit of an up and comer, uh, I doubt that he would have interest in a race like this simply because it doesn't seem like Hutch Hutchinson is all that beatable. Tucker uh, has been rumored to be looking at um, the race against French Hill uh, for the second district congressional seat, and there's been a little bit of polling out, uh, which which may be coming from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. So that that's another thing to watch. I mean, you know. I, I will say that the dynamic with Henderson, um, Greg Letting, uh, who's a representative from the from the Fayetteville area, had uh, tweeted out. Uh, basically, someone kind of said, uh, "Now I don't remember who it was, but a Republican had, had put something out on Twitter saying, well, you know, we really don't need to change direction. Ace is doing just fine.'" Uh, Greg Letting tweeted, uh, "Without minimizing Jared's candidacy." candidacy, let's also take a moment to remember that parties in Arkansas are required by law to field gubernatorial candidates in order to retain official status. Now, <laughs> that does sound like it's minimizing his candidacy a little bit. It's not exactly, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fire up, ready to go um, uh, vibe. Uh, and, and But, you know, I, I think, I mean, 
I think this was kind of like the the what they call the Kinsey gaff, where where the gaff is that you you tell the truth. I mean, I I do think that that probably Democrats in the state are are not really seeing this as a path to victory. Letting, by the way, uh, didn't appreciate. Uh, me noting that tweet and said that actually he just likes to educate people about um, <laughs> the, the civics and and uh, the sort of process stuff in Arkansas. So who knows? But in any case, I, I would say that the uh, the uh, while the general spirit is is I think actually pretty high in the wake of Alabama, um, I would not among the Democratic Party in Arkansas. I would not say that people have high hopes for uh, for taking the governor's spot. And quickly on Cotton. So I, I suspect that this is not going to happen. Uh, the, there was a report today that um, supposedly, so Tillerson is still in trouble, who's at state, and the domino was going to be that Tillerson uh, was, was axed, and Pompeo, who's currently at the CIA, was going to go to state, and then Cotton was going to go to the CIA. And this would have caused a kind of eruption in Arkansas politics because you would have had probably a number of Arkansas Republicans going after that Senate seat, uh, some of them current office holders, which would have opened up other competitions. You would have had a fascinating dynamic to see whether um, uh, a prominent Democrat went for that seat. Um, the, uh, I think the most entertaining idea that was put out, Jay Barth uh, in the Times talked about whether Davey Carter might run as an independent. So all very interesting stuff, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, the, the Washington Post reported last night that Pompeo is sort of no longer seen as, as the likely choice at state, supposedly because Trump just really enjoys the daily briefings with him, which I'm a little skeptical that it's like the, the melodious voice of Pompeo that he just can't do without. But anyway, that's what they that's what they're saying. Um, you know, it does. And, and by the way, who knows where this this rumor about cotton Originated, you know. I mean, it could have come from Cotton himself. Who, who? It, it's it's impossible to know with these kind of blind, blind source stories and and the um, uh, the general chaos of, of the Trump administration. Uh, but um, uh, I I think that it, just using our I think the simplest explanation to think through the cotton possibility is just that the Trump administration just went through this with Alabama. They had a red state. They uh, nabbed a senator to, to join their administration, which opened up a special election, and it ended in a humiliating defeat. Uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> there were some very unusual circumstances in Alabama, and probably uh, everything would work out just fine for the Republicans if they opened up a seat in Arkansas. Or, it's probably, or Jason Raper could get nominated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's just enough to make you nervous. I mean, who who knows what would happen once you kind of uh, open up that dynamic? And I suspect, and you know, my general take on this is that uh, politicians are are very good at kind of overlearning lessons from the recent past. Uh, and and I suspect that the White House is would be very loathe to open up this can of worms. So I, I think uh, I think Tom Cotton is, is probably staying put for better or worse, maybe uh, maybe a a bummer for for sort of parochial reasons, but I think actually probably uh, a better outcome for the nation and the world than having him uh, head up the the spies.
All right, well, let's leave politics behind and talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table. Now, David, it's been a little while since you've been in town, but next time you come to visit, I will take you for a drink at the new 42 Bar and Table. Well, I'm uh, holding that to you. Wait, this is this is the place of the Clinton Library? Yeah, it now has a separate entrance. You don't have to go through security, though you can mm-hmm. if you want and don't want to walk nice. down the stairs. It's been completely redone. Uh, Gary Mertens, the... Uh, interior designer did it. It's very nice. Uh, a great bar scene. A patio nice. that that um, I think has been expanded a little bit. Great seating. Uh, you can watch the Arkansas River go by. The food is excellent. So we will go and have a powwow. And perhaps it will be nice outside and we can sit on the patio. And, and you can look yeah. out at the, the future uh, island park that the city um, Ooh. has planned, uh, but hasn't done anything with. Maybe that sounds great. In 2018. Okay, well, since we uh, w- weren't able to podcast last week, we didn't get to talk about the Razorbacks, so we'll do that quickly here. Um, the, the Hogs hired Hunter Juracek, the uh, Houston athletic director, to head the athletic department at UA Fayetteville, and then shortly thereafter hired... Uh, Chad Morris, the SMU head coach for the last three seasons. Before that was at Clemson, where he was uh, the offensive coordinator when Deshaun Watson was quarterback there doing big things. And before that, he spent a number of years as a uh, prominent head coach, uh, high school coach in Texas. Where he, but in all that time, he, d- he did not learn how to pronounce uh, Brett Bielema's name. <laughs> <laughs> He seemed to have some pronunciation struggles. He struggled to say Juracek as well. <laughs> yeah, you got to do your homework. What yeah. do you think? What do you th- What do you think of Morris? I'm 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 fairly bullish on him. I think uh, that it, much like the Petrino, the logic behind the Petrino hire, that the Razorbacks are never going to be able to recruit well enough to compete with LSU and Alabama in sort of in the trenches football we right. need to have crazy firepower um, a la you know, Auburn a really high octane offense to outshoot um, our opponents and hopefully and perhaps some brain power on the sidelines as well perhaps that and, and but Petrino just sort of gave up on defense and hired the hapless Willie Robinson um, right you know Morris has promised to hire the best defensive coordinator in the country, um, which, as our uh, our hogs call him, is Bill Wilcox. Or no, maybe it was Jim Harris, our our copy editor and, and friend of the time, said, you know, I wish he'd stop uh, making all these promises, like this sort of tall talk. Now, it'd be great right. if he could get his old friend Brent Venables, who's the Clemson defensive coordinator and a, a Broyles Award winner as uh, the best assistant in, in the country. But I doubt that's going to happen. There's been talk about John Chavis, longtime LSU coordinator, has been at Texas A&M, who's actually pretty sorry on defense the last couple of years. Um, there's talk of the, the Washington State defensive coordinator. I don't know anything about him. What do you think about Morris? You listened to his well, press conference. I did. I uh, Well, <laughs> in my one thing I will say is that uh, I like to – I like to be judgmental about coaches' cliches, 
And I think being a champion is not an event. It's a lifestyle is about the worst one I've ever heard. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I do not follow college football as closely as I, as I once did. And so I, I don't think I can really speak intelligently about this. Other than, uh, you know, I think that there's been a kind of arms race in, in terms of uh, – innovative coaching in the SEC and I think it was a mistake the last go round to go with the kind of old school good old boy type coach and and I think that uh, Morris at least seems to be have some more uh, as I said firepower in the in the noggin <laughs> than maybe than maybe uh, than maybe the Razorbacks have been used to so so I, I think it was I think it was a good hire I mean the whole you know I don't know. It's hard for me to. The whole thing is a little bit sick when you look at the salaries and so on. But, right. uh, but uh, I, I, I think that he. I think he's for what they were angling for, and and given the fact that, it's particularly compared to the amount that they were, you know, supposedly offering uh, Malzahn, uh, I, I, I think it was a solid hire. No. Okay, well, finally, let's uh, see how quickly we can talk about a complicated subject, and that's something that you are somewhat of an expert on when, when you're not guest blogging on Arkansas Times or writing national magazine stories. You contribute to <coughs> excuse me, the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network, where you wrote recently about, or you've written several times, actually, about the progress of Arkansas's waiver uh, for expanded Medicaid. Um, that when it was initially announced, I think the, the consensus was this is sure to be approved somewhat quickly. That's not right. turned out to be the case. Right. Well, and, and, and I mean, so basically the, the, the quick background is that what the governor wants to do is, so Arkansas has, you know, has expanded Medicaid. It's, it's one of 30-some states to have done so. Uh, but somewhat unusually, because obviously it's a it's a Republican-controlled state. Um, but the governor wants to ha- initiate some changes, uh, and the two big ones are number one, uh, work requirements. He would require certain beneficiaries uh, to either you know basically call in and prove that they were seeking a job or or that they had a job, uh, and and potentially lose coverage if, if they didn't do so. And then the, the other thing that he wants to do is is basically change what the eligibility is. So right now, if you make up to 138% of the poverty line, uh, which I don't know exactly off the top of my head, I think for an individual that's about $16,000, um, and he wants to lower that down to the poverty line, which might be something closer to 12,000, I think. Uh, don't hold me to that. But in any case, that this would the result would be that 60,000 Arkansans would be removed from the program. Uh, and, and, the, and this is, I mean, ironically enough, this is very specifically the working poor, right? This is the people that are between that right at the poverty line up to 138% of the poverty line. So they would be removed from the program. The governor's idea is that they would then... Uh, either go to the Obamacare exchanges where they would be able to get subsidized insurance or they would, if their employer offered them insurance, they, they could get coverage there. In either case, they would um, pay a little more and get a little worse coverage. In some cases, they would pay a lot more and get a lot worse coverage. So 
this is not uh, a happy outcome for those folks, uh, but it would save the state some money. So that's why, and, and a significant amount, uh, I want to say it's something like $60 million over four years or something. Um, so that's what the governor wants to do. Uh, the, both of these, both of these uh, goals were uh, lines in the sand that the Obama administration was not willing to do. Um, so they said that uh, states could not do work requirements, basically um, because the Medicaid program is a health care program. It's not a jobs program. Most of the people who are uh, in the expanded Medicaid population already work. Um, those that don't, uh, many of them are either uh, students or retired or homemakers or caretakers, people that would, we wouldn't really expect to have a job. Many of them are essentially near disabled, have very serious health problems, but don't, that don't quite qualify for disability, um, and so they can't work. And then around a quarter of them are, are sort of out of work but would, would like to be working, or, or at least, uh, you know, could be working, uh, but many of them have uh, or disproportionately have health problems and, and are, can be quite sick. Uh, and so, you, if you put work requirements in place, you have this uh, potential disaster of your most vulnerable people getting kicked out of the program and, and not getting access to health care, which doesn't really accomplish much of anything. So anyways, that's why the Obama administration was opposed to it, but the Trump administration uh, thinks it's a great idea. And all indications are that the, that part of it, the work requirements, the Trump administration is going to okay, and uh, that will be put in place both in Arkansas and elsewhere. The other one is a little more complicated, and basically there's a, there's a couple of issues. One issue is that, so if you move everyone off of Medicaid and into the Obamacare exchanges, it will probably cost the federal government more money. Now, that's a, it's a complicated question, and it's a little different in Arkansas than other states because Arkansas has this private option system where they use private companies instead of the traditional Medicaid program for this population. But it's at least enough of a concern that the feds are going to kind of be getting their calculators out and seeing whether um, this is going to end up costing them more money. Not so much because of Arkansas in particular. Arkansas is you know, a relatively small state in the grand scheme of things. We're talking about 60,000 people, which obviously in human costs is a really big deal, but it, it, this is not going to break the, the, the federal budget. But if they say yes to Arkansas, then a lot of other states are also going to want to do it. And then you could have, because again, it does save the states money by essentially shifting costs to the feds um, and also to the, to the people themselves. Uh, so that would kind of open the floodgates, and, and there is some indication that the federal government might be reluctant to do that, even though it is a kind of conservative reform, it, it, the politics of this are, are a little funny. Uh, one thing that might happen if they let Arkansas do this, and by the way, Massachusetts is asking for the same thing, actually, um, is that you could, that could make it much more appealing to expand Medicaid for other states. So let's say you're Texas and you've been holding out, not expanding Medicaid because you want to fight Obamacare and so on, but expanding Medicaid is a pretty good deal. The federal government pays for 90% of the cost, and you can like suddenly 
insure a bunch of people and hospitals really like it. So if you if you have the option to do that, but to do it to a, a, a essentially expand Medicaid for a smaller group of people, that might be appealing to some states that have been on the fence or that have said no. So what might happen is they say yes to Arkansas and then a ton of states also say yes. Now from the perspective of you know the the people that like the Affordable Care Act or want to see it work well, this could be a good thing, right? Like you're, you're increasing the number of, of states that expand Medicaid, and so you're increasing the number of people that are covered. But the Trump administration probably doesn't want a bunch of states to expand Medicaid. A, that would add a lot to the federal budget if a lot of states started expanding. And B, I mean, as far as I can tell, Trump is mostly interested in kind of gestural victories like like Obama bad Obamacare fail and so on and and it would be potentially construed as positive headlines for Obamacare if a bunch of states start expanding Medicaid and you'd also end up with more people going to the Obamacare exchanges which is something that Trump seems concerned about um, kind of wanting those numbers to be a little bit lower so you have this weird political dynamic where the idea of lowering eligibility is a conservative idea and I mean for example Americans for Prosperity who oppose Medicaid expansion would like to see it done away with altogether in the meantime they like this idea because it means less people on Medicaid um, but it, it it has both budget ramifications and and political optics that might be a little bit complicated anyway that's that's the kind of that's the situation and, and it, there it, is it matters in Arkansas as far as the state and politics are concerned because we have a fiscal session coming up and the governor has to present a budget yes and and so it's and it's a it, and it's as you say it's the budget and politics i mean the if if the feds do not agree to this which and again as you said at the, at the beginning the trump administration had generally kind of signaled that they were going to go along with these sorts of red state asks and uh Governor Hutchinson had, had, has over and over said, you know, essentially, more or less said it's in the bag. Um, if the feds say no, then yeah, that, I mean, and to be clear, none of that has been, like, none of the savings that would accrue to the state are in this year's budget, and they will not be put into next year's budget that the governor will be presenting in January if the feds haven't said yes at that point. But, I mean, so it's it's not exactly like suddenly there's a hole, but there is a hole in the sense that, you know, presumably the plan all along has been to have this 60 plus million dollars in savings. And so if that suddenly doesn't happen, that will complicate uh, the the budget. And the other thing that will happen is, I mean, you know, the governor has... I mean, kind of one of the great ironies among many of the Medicaid expansion debate in Arkansas is that in some ways the election of a Republican governor probably saved the program. You have a very, you know, uh, uh, both Republican-dominated and, and in many ways right-wing-dominated legislature that is pretty skeptical of, of Medicaid expansion, but I think that the governor has kind of pitched it along the way and has through various uh, uh, bizarre maneuvering that we don't have to get into, ha has kept the program in place. Um, but part of his pitch the whole time has been, you know, there's there's going to be these changes. Um, certainly, 
certainly in 2017, that has been his pitch: is that you know these changes are coming that is going to decrease the number of people on the program, which is very important to some of the right wingers in in the legislature. So if the Fed say no, I guess the the it's not just the budget question. I think it does become a question of well, will the legislature? Uh, essentially want to shut the whole thing down, um, you know, they've made that, I would say the, the, the kind of rump group of right-wingers have made that threat many times and it hasn't uh, happened yet, and, and it's one thing to threaten, and it's another thing to, to kick, you know, a couple hundred thousand people off of, off of a program. Uh, but I think it would become uh, very dicey if, if, in fact, after sort of pledging all this time that, that uh, that these changes were going to happen if they if kind of the rug was was pulled out from them, and you know this was supposed to go into effect. By the way, on January first, uh, that became untenable uh, as they sort of await word from the feds. DHS has said that they need 60 days to implement this, so they're already essentially two months behind schedule. So we'll we'll see how it goes. I mean, I definitely think. You know, in every conversation I've had with the governor, or not the governor, but but his office, uh, they have they continue to express confidence. If I had, to, I mean, if I had to guess, and I really am just guessing, I suspect that their pitch is to say to the feds, "Go ahead and say yes to Arkansas, but don't say yes to anyone else." <laughs> I don't know if that's going to really fly. I think that that would really be opening up a political can of worms for the Trump administration. But in any case, it's certainly, I I will say this much, I think that, uh, I think that several months ago, the the governor's office was extremely confident about implementing this. uh, And I think that they have at least reason to be a little nervous at this point. Yeah. All right, let's move on to endorsements and and I'll I'll start because you probably have to think of one. While, uh, with with two, and one is a bit of a kind of log roll for both of us. Uh, the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network, which is a, a side project that, that I, I run uh, and, and David contributes to, is um, a, it's a, a nonprofit vehicle for us to do the kind of reporting that, that probably wouldn't happen otherwise because it's so hard and this. Uh, this market to um, to afford to have journalists to do long-term projects um, with just selling ads. We can't do it with Arkansas Times. The Democrat Gazette has laid off a number of people. Gatehouse, which owns a bunch of papers throughout the state, has has contracted quite a bit. So the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network is really trying to fill the void left behind and do substantial reporting and provide the sort of trenchant analysis you just heard from, from David about healthcare. Uh, we're really excited about 2018. We've got some big projects. Uh, Benjamin Hardy, former Arkansas Times reporter, is one of our main contributors, and he was named a uh, American Healthcare Journalist Association Fellow for the year um, and is, is planning to, to, along with with Dave, to, to keep writing about healthcare. And so uh, as you are considering your end-of-the-year gifts, hope you will think about the Arkansas Nonprofit News Network at arcnews.org. And we appreciate I, it. Yeah, it I, it's, a, it's a difference maker. I have, I have an actual endorsement. Tonight is yeah, the yeah. Arkansas Times holiday party. And uh, to I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to wear. It's going to be at uh, Rocktown Distillery in the warehouse, which is not heated. So... 
I'm going to have to, to really pile on the layers. But I have one piece my wardrobe picked out, and that is my favorite pair of socks. They're Arkin socks from Rock City Kicks. Um, they have Argyle, um, Argyle socks with the state of Arkansas as the pattern. Um, a number of other, I think they have LR, like the LR symbol all over. But I have the Pinnacle socks that have the outline of Pinnacle and kind of a sunset. <coughs> it's a that sounds nice. It's an excellent color scheme, so I'll be rocking those tonight. And if anybody wants to buy me any stocking stuffers out there, I'd like some more Arkansas. So what do you got? Okay, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give it an easy one and a, and a hard one. Uh, so the easy one is uh, uh, everyone should – well, not everyone. Whatever. If you like Neil Young, okay, which is maybe some of you, you should go look at um, – or even if you're, like, just kind of vaguely interested, you should go look at this insane archive that he just put up on the web that's free for a certain amount of time. That's every recording ever, all kinds of writings and photos, and it's really well organized. It's kind of – I've really never seen anything quite – like it and i guess neil young or his people did it themselves uh and it's great and it you know all you gotta do is go on the internet and do it it's awesome uh if you have a little more time i totally recommend i I just spent um a bunch of time reading the elena ferrante books uh the neapolitan uh, series. There's four of them. They're long, so you know I'm basically endorsing like a thousand pages of reading or something, or probably two thousand pages of reading. But uh, they're incredibly. Immer- they're so immersive that like I have this thing where I kind of can't watch exciting movies before I go to bed because then I can't sleep. Uh, that I had that experience reading these books. So uh, and they're. Uh, uh, I especially maybe recommend them to like uh, dudes who are always reading books by other dudes. You should read these books. They're they're uh, they're a real um, textured dive into female friendship in a way that I think is pretty interesting. So everyone should read those okay. and then go listen to Neil Young. Great, great all right, great endorsements. Uh, well, thanks, David, and thanks for everyone for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. It helps people find us and. Go eat at 42 Bar and Table and tell them that we sent you. Yeah. We'll see if you're in you. Florida, come see me. I'll find you a spot. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you again soon. Thanks. All right. Bye, y'all.